Have you ever wondered what it's like to witness a murder? Forrest grabbed the knife and then just stabbed Johnny in one motion. Or how it feels to be shot. I was immediately hit by a barrage of bullets. Or how you would react if your spouse hired someone to kill you. And he was to put me in a grave with a bullet wound on my head. These are the stories you'll hear on the podcast called What Was That Like? True stories told by the actual person who went through it. You'll hear from a stalking victim. Came back upstairs and when I came back and turned the corner into my room, I saw him standing there. You'll hear from a man who was kidnapped and tortured. I would do anything, say anything, to simply get away. And you'll hear actual 911 calls. Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Real people in unreal situations. Search for What Was That Like on any podcast app or at whatwasthatlike.com. This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discussion is advised. Welcome to Fruit Loops, episode 117. You know Ooh. what I mean? Thank you so much for listening. Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that we don't hear or know much about. Contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are straight cis white dudes. What? No, they are simply not. There are many well-documented cases of serial killers of color, and Fruit Loops is a podcast all about them. We will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that the media and entertainment commonly leave out because the news is racist. Allegedly. And we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy. I'm Beth. We're not journalists, investigators, or psychologists. Just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. Please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602-935-6294. And we may feature it on a future episode. Also, our website is fruitloopspod.com and we use Fruit Loops Pod for all our social media. The Fruit Loops... <laughs> the Fruit Loops, no, just kidding. The footnotes for each episode can be found on our website. Plus, check it out for all the different ways you can support the show and become a Fruit Loops patron. So, who are we talking about today, Beth? Today, we're talking about Sam Kid Pumpuang, a Thai serial killer who murdered five women, was sentenced to life, but released in 2019 for good behavior. Seven months later, he killed another woman. Surprise! Mm. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> And this episode was suggested to us by Lauren on Twitter and Dana on Facebook. Thank y'all so much. Um, But before we get into it, how you doing? I'm doing good. So this is a story that uh, takes place in Thailand. Yeah. So I've been craving Thai and Vietnamese food all weekend. Yes. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh my gosh, same. I got a bun me sandwich. Oh yeah. Yesterday. <laughs> oh nice. Had some pad thai today, so yeah. Oh, you're going all, all out. Set. You're really yeah. See, look how dedicated she is to bringing <laughs> you the most fire ass content possible. I she's just love ingest- Thai food. <laughs> she's she's researching. She's ingesting. Yeah, the, it's all Thai all the taking time. Taking it all over in. Here at Wait, I'll tie all the time. I, you know, I, I was looking. I was just staring at my Postmates menu options. Uh, but uh, the Thai place that I wanted wasn't um, available for delivery oh, at man. the time when my tummy was calling for it. So, no Thai for me. But stay tuned because. There's always tomorrow. There's there's always time for tie. <laughs> there's always time for tie. Uh, <laughs> especially during this uh what what Chet Hanks call it? White boy summer. Did you hear about that? I did not. <laughs> Woo, Tell me about know, that. You know Chet Hanks is Tom Hanks' son? No. Okay. So I uh, now it's coming back to me. So what oh, happened? Well, Chet Hanks is an interesting individual. He has gone on his social media and declared uh that it will be a white boy summer. Um, but this does not apply to the Proud Boys or any other white supremacist group. This is just this is just a hashtag to incite fun and good times and good vibes. Okay. Uh, he also has clarified because, as you can imagine, he got a lot of hate yeah. on the internet for that for that statement. Yeah, uh, he says it's going to be a every, a black queen summer. It's going to be a brown boy summer. Oh, it's going to so be a everybody's it, summer. It's a everybody's summer. But Chet Hanks. Uh, some people say that Tom Hanks is probably ashamed of him. <laughs> but I really don't. I really don't think that is true. I can't imagine Tom Hanks being ashamed of anybody. Anybody? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, did you know there's a rumor that Tom Hanks could be black? No. Mm, maybe. It's it's just a rumor among some black people huh. that he could, you know, like maybe somewhere along his lineage, there could be black in black, there. Sure. Yeah. I don't Plus, see why not. Yeah. If Tom P- Hanks played Meghan Markle's half black dad in a movie, I would buy it. Yeah. Um. <laughs> anyway, uh, so so that's uh, that's what I've been um, paying attention to. All I'm right. trying to think. What else did we have? Oh, we got some podcast blessings in the works here. Um, it's about to be a Fruit Loop summer, is what I'm saying. <laughs> Am I right? Uh, <laughs> uh, so uh, we got like some really good news for the pod. And when I tell you, I saw these blessings in my inbox while I was at my nine to five job. And I seriously contemplated packing up all of my things (laughs) and just podcasting full time. (laughs) But then then reality set in. Yeah. (laughs) So we're not there yet, but just you wait. But would would love to be there because I would love to do this full time. Oh and not not uh, on on the side after doing my 40 hours. <laughs> yes, yes, it is a labor of love, yes, as, we, it is. as we frequently say. Speaking yes. of labors of love, let's get into these listener letters. All Hang right. on here. Let's see what the angels have brought to us. Hello. Ooh. Thank you, angels. <laughs> Thank you, angels. All right. What's in that bag, Beth? I just wanted to read this review we got on Apple Podcast because it's titled, I Like the Air Horns. Oh, <laughs> 
<laughs> In that case, they're they're here to stay. Yeah. <laughs> the reviewer's name is my nickname is Nick87. And they said the hosts of this podcast are amazing, funny, insightful, informative, and easy to relate to. I love that they highlight true crime others don't, and the culture corner is very awesome. So hip hop air horns to you, Wendy and Beth. Thank you so much, Nick. Yeah, thank you, Nick. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Very kind. Yeah, very kind. And I also wanted to say thank you to Jesse S. for your wonderful and motivating email titled Next Level. Thank you so much. It's emails like yours that keep us going. Hip hop air horns for you. Hip hop air horns to you. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Thank you so much. And we've been reading emails and reviews and stuff that have been motivating to us. And we like to read your letters in the show because we like to give you all some shine. But uh, I, I'm afraid we're boring people. So going forward, <laughs> we'd like to read more letters with questions or with information for us to share. So have at it, Fruity. Send us your questions or information. Yeah. Get at us. Um, we also wanted to thank everyone who's uh, participated in our survey to help us improve the show. So hip hop air horns to all of you. Yeah. Thank you all so much. Um, and uh, we got some new Patreon subscribers. So Woo-hoo. mil gracias to all of you. Let me read your names real quick. Mina L, uh, Cassandra G, Ambar L, and Milardo Layos. Oh, thank uh, so, you. Yes, thank you so much. Here are your tunes. I don't know what they want from me. It's like the moment we come across, the moment we see. <laughs> uh, thank you, Boo, for that. Uh, Cassandra G. Okay, here this is for you. Got to go that way. Keep it moving, cause you ain't trying to get killed. Stop betting on make ready for whatever. It's written, so can't worry about Cassandra, cause you never know. (laughs) Uh, That's from Adila fans. Uh, So uh, this one, Amber L. Cause Amber, there ain't no murder bad enough. Ain't no crime vile enough. Ain't no scam wrong enough to keep me from parting for you, babe. (laughs) I like that one. (laughs) And Milardo, okay. I've seen Milardo, yeah, I met him last night. One podcast episode, now they're spending the night. Seems kind of funny, (laughs) Milardo, my type. You're just my type. Woo! I love Thank it. Thank you guys so much. <laughs> Thank you. I hope you didn't hate those tunes, Guts. <laughs> but if you did, there's uh, nothing she can do about it. it it's true. It's true. Uh, I don't know why. I, oh, uh, stop. Stop. Stop air horning. Air horning. <laughs> the button got stuck. I'm so sorry. Wow. I mean, even though those were fire, 
<laughs> I, in the button got stuck, so I'm very sorry. Uh, remind us, Beth, who's our subject today? Today we're talking about Samkid Pumpuang, a Thai serial killer. And uh, since this is in Thailand, there's a lot of names that we have trouble pronouncing. So please forgive us if we get the pronunciation wrong. Yes. Uh, so now we are going to get into some stats. <laughs> All right. Something is creeping in. Don't follow it down. Let me introduce you to Barry Clue, an authorised financial advisor from New Zealand and a very special kind of stain on humanity. He was a very uh, knowledgeable young guy. He was a registered financial advisor. The type of guy that was bending over backwards to help you. Now you could be forgiven for thinking that Barry sounds like a great guy. And you'd be right. Well, right up until the point when you're wrong. It was all fictitious. You stole from my son who has a disability. Chris never knew. He died believing that we're all taken care of. A psychopath is somebody who lacks empathy, acts impulsively. I think there's a strong case that Barry might be all of those things, actually. To find out how Barry Clue stole over $15 million from 81 victims, subscribe to Clueless, the long con. That's Clueless, spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S. I want to take a moment to tell you about my podcast, Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage. In 1984, a woman named Phyllis Cottle was abducted in broad daylight, tortured, and left to die in a burning car in Akron, Ohio. At the time, I was a rookie reporter covering this horrific story. Since then, I've reported every kind of crime imaginable. I've been able to leave most of them at work, but not this one. The one that buried itself under my skin and stayed put. Phyllis Cottle was a badass woman, and I want to tell you her story. A production of Evergreen Podcasts and signature title of the Killer Podcast Network, you can find Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage wherever you get your podcasts. Discover more great true crime and paranormal programming at KillerPodcast.com. Some kid Pampuang, a.k.a. Kid the Ripper, a.k.a. the Thai Ripper, a.k.a. Jack the Ripper of Thailand. I think I also saw an a.k.a. the Masseuse Murderer. Oh, yeah. Uh, anyway, they're not all accurate nicknames because he didn't use any <laughs> knives. Still, he was he not did. a ripper. <laughs> he was not a ripper, but still a serial killer. Uh, yeah. He was born in 1964. What month or day? We do not know. Uh, he is from Nakhon Si Tamarat in Thailand. He committed five murders in five months from January 2005 to June of 2005. And then, surprise, surprise, another murder after he was released from prison in 2019. Who could have predicted that? Would you believe it, girls? <laughs> I mean, uh, now <laughs> let's speak the names of his victims. They were all women. Um, I assume that they're all women identifying, but I could be wrong. So I'm just going to say rest in power, queens. Uh, the names are Waruni Pimpabuter, was 25, Pongpan Sapchai, 34, Pachari Amataniran, 38, Pontawan Pankabuter, 37, Sampong Pimpormpiran, 36, and Rasami Mulichan, 51. Thank you, Ooh. Rasami. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for Ooh. having an easy name. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> 
Uh, please forgive our, our, as Beth said, our pronunciation. We are are doing our best, and we're we trying, are, but we are, don't speak Thai. We do, we do not. And uh, if we are mispronouncing those, we uh, apologize. Again, rest in power, queens. Now we're going to get into the setting. Take us there, Beth. Well, the setting is Thailand, officially the Kingdom of Thailand, and formerly known as Siam. It's a country located in the center of mainland Southeast Asia, just south of China and east of India. Myanmar is right next door to Thailand on the west. Laos is north, wrapping around on the east, followed by Cambodia on the southeast, and Vietnam east of Laos and Cambodia. Southern Thailand extends down into a peninsula next to the Gulf of Thailand, which ends in Malaysia. The capital of Thailand is Bangkok. The history of Thailand is long and complex. Thailand encompasses some of the oldest settled areas in the world. The ancestors of the modern Thai first entered the central part of the Southeast Asian mainland about 1000 AD and began establishing independent principalities in the 13th century. The country experienced great splendor during successive kingdoms between the 10th and 14th centuries, and it had various periods of political instability due to poor political management or military regimes. I wonder, though, if that is from a Eurocentric lens, you know, the poor management, the poor, the instability. Oh, right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it just sounds like an excuse to colonize, <laughs> if you ask me. Uh, <laughs> so it was once thought that the ancestors of the modern Thai came from southwestern China, but linguistic evidence now indicates that the original home of Thai-speaking peoples is today northwest Vietnam. The Thai who settled in the area, now belonging to Thailand, brought with them cultural characteristics shaped by contact with the Chinese. Once settled, they were influenced by the Khmer and Mon peoples, whose traditions largely originated in India. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. Uh, the Thai who became dominant in the 13th century ultimately combined the linguistic, cultural, and sociopolitical heritage of their Thai ancestors and the Buddhism of the Mon and the statecraft of the Indianized Khmer to form what would become a distinctive Thai culture. I think that's cool that they borrowed the yeah. best and combined. I yeah. think that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of Fruit Loops. We sort of combined <laughs> our strengths to create the Yeah, show. that's true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Go off, Beth. In 1238, Sri Indratia, a Thai prince, declared independence from the declining Khmer Empire and established a kingdom in Sukhothai. Thai people regard the founding of the Sukhothai kingdom as the founding of their country. Okay. In 1511, the Portuguese were the first Europeans to reach what was then called Siam. Other European powers followed, including the French in 1662, before an isolationist policy saw almost almost three centuries with no contact with the West at all. If you ask wow. me, that sounds like a, a nice vacation <laughs> from colonization and white supremacy. Woo! Freya Taksin became king in 1769 and expanded the Thai kingdom into what is now Laos and beyond. But he was removed in a coup by Rama I. Rama means king in Thai 
who established a new capital in the small village of Bangkok. Between 1809 and 1935, Ramas II through seven ruled the kingdom, and Siam, as Thailand was then called at the time, was never brought under European colonial domination, which is remarkable. Yeah. Considering um, all of its neighbors were controlled by either the British or the French, Burma and Malaysia being British colonies and Laos and Cambodia being French ones. In 1932, the bloodless Siamese revolution resulted in the introduction of democracy and the first constitution of Thailand. The constitutional monarchy that was established, similar to Britain's, still remains the foundation of the Thai government today. Thais have been practicing Theravada Buddhism since at least 100 AD, and it has left a deep impact on Thai culture, although Hinduism has also impacted art and literature. Some 90% of Thais call themselves Buddhists. And Buddhism, I just think, is such a beautiful it is. Um, religion. Oh it my is. gosh. Yeah. If I had the time, I would <laughs> learn so much more about it. But from what I know, I love it. Buddhism is a faith that calls for a sense of peace with one's surroundings and the people one meets. They aim to project a smiling, positive air and avoid displays of emotion, such as anger. Politeness and respect for others, particularly elders, is emphasized. One travel site advises visitors should try not to show anger in public as it is deeply insulting to those criticized. Any loss of face is something to be avoided at all costs by both sides. Interesting. Yeah. Um, also, uh, I've mentioned before I'm on this recovery journey. And um, one of the meetings that I attend sometimes is um, Recovery Dharma. And they use Buddhist principles in the oh. idea of recovery. Cool. Um, so anyway, that's my connection to Very it. Very interesting. Nobody cares. Let's continue. <laughs> I care. <laughs> <laughs> the Japanese occupied Thailand during World War II. If you don't know, now you know. The movie The Bridge on the River Kwai takes place in Thailand. Ooh. In 1946, the country's name was changed from Siam to Thailand. During World War II, Thailand was allied with Japan, so technically it was never conquered. Again, remarkable considering. <laughs> after, so after World War II, Thailand allied itself with the United States and the two countries developed an extremely close relationship premised on containing the spread of communism in Southeast Asia. This was advantageous for Thailand as it helped keep Thailand free of the communist revolutions that swept through French Indochina, which was the three countries of Laos, Cambodia, and Vietnam. For the U.S., Thailand represented a bastion of anti-communism in a region full of political uncertainty. It also represented a valuable Asian ally, a major, quote, rest and relaxation, end quote, destination for U.S. servicemen in the region and a strategic base from which to prosecute both overt and clandestine operations. Um, but I will say, um, I've, I just, and I'm shouting this out later, just watched Exterminate All the Brutes. And it's kind of interesting how all these white servicemen sort of took advantage oh, of yeah, they the did. female bodies yep. of um, 
the the women in these other countries um, yeah. who were not white. And I just think it's gross. But they anyways. absolutely did. Yeah. Yeah. By the mid 1960s, nearly 80 percent of all American bombing missions flown against North Vietnam and Laos were launched from air bases in Thailand. At the height of the Vietnam War, almost 50,000 American military personnel were stationed in Thailand. And Thailand was the third largest provider of ground forces to South Vietnam, following the Americans and South Koreans. Thailand has had a long and complex relationship with commercial sex work that persists to this day. Despite all its other tourist draws, it's still known as a sex tourism destination, a designation that began around the time of the Vietnam War. Yeah, just as you were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, I've heard of it referred to as a sex tourism destination. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I all I know, I, man, I have never heard anything like that. Really? Um, no, I didn't. I guess I didn't realize it. Uh, now that I'm thinking of, this is so ignorant of me, but I'm thinking of the Hangover movies. Oh, right. And for, they, for their bachelor party, I guess sex work was part of the plot. Yeah. Um. So, okay, that makes sense. Thank you, Beth. <laughs> Throughout Thai history, sex work was accepted and common among many sectors of society, though it was never condoned or respected by society as a whole. With the arrival of the U.S. military in Southeast Asia during the Vietnam War era, enterprising forces adapted the then-existing framework to suit foreigners, in turn creating an international sex tourism industry. But uh, there's the... Uh, good part of the sex industry and the really dark part. Yeah. You know, trafficking and, and things like that. Um, so sex work is technically illegal in Thailand, but laws against it are often ambiguous and unenforced. Uh, due to international pressure from the UN, commercial sex work was declared illegal in Thailand in 1960. However, alternative venues such as go-go bars, beer bars, massage parlors, karaoke bars, and bathhouses are governed by a separate law passed in 1966. These establishments are licensed and can legally provide non-sexual services such as dancing, massages, dates, and drinking buddies. I would like Ooh. to pay a drinking buddy. Yeah. <laughs> Just hang out with me and drink. <laughs> <laughs> sexual services often occur through these fronts, but it's a legal gray area given that such services are not technically the business's primary purpose. The women who provide these services often do so out of desperation, having families to take care of, and some of them are the sole earners in the family. Sex work pays a lot more than any other job that they could get. Also, um, I will get into other culture corners throughout this episode, but one that I, I did not put in the script was the sexualization uh, or the hypersexualization of the bodies of Asian women throughout um, history and how I think white American soldiers going over there during the war uh, sort of helped fuel this industry, right? So it's not criminalized in Thailand, but part of it is probably because economically it makes sense not yeah. to shut this entire industry down. Right. Um, but uh, it is, I think, just an aspect of the story that Asian women's bodies are um, just, again, sexualized, that their sexualization comes before their humanity. Right. Um, so I also wanted to talk about um, gender 
identities in Thailand because it is very interesting. There was a thread uh, that came across my timeline on Twitter um, and it was posted by at openly. And they talked about the idea of more than two genders globally and how it's not new. So in Thailand, uh, Toms are women who adopt masculine mannerisms and the style while using male speech terms. Toms are often attracted to Ds, and women, those are women who follow traditional Thai gender norms. Um, And again, welcome to Culture Corner. The reason why this was so interesting to me is white supremacy and colonization have created these illusions, right? We believe Anything not white, anything not, you know, not attached to whiteness or not created by a white person or white man is less than. Um, mostly white religions are better than non-white religions, right? That's why Buddhism and Islam and Hinduism are, are uh, the evangelical Christians are like, not my America. You know what I mean? Right, right. They're just like, ooh, no, I, I can't, I can't get down with that. Um, the idea of white family dynamics, right? There has to be a father and there has to be a mother or these gender norms, right, are the default. There's always a man. It's always male, female. That's it. Nothing, nothing outside of that is acceptable to, um, in a, in a white supremacist, uh, Christian based culture. Right. Um, and again, it's just not true. And in Thailand, this idea of, um, having more, more than two genders has existed in Thai culture. And I just think it's really interesting. So, yeah. Didn't you say there's like a dozen or more gender? identities? Yeah, a dozen or more common gender identities, which I just think is so interesting. Yeah. 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 Even nature isn't bound to do to two genders. So the idea that um, there's always a man and a woman and you can't pee in another bathroom and trans girls can't play sports is just nonsense. Yeah. Gotcha. (laughs) So I just wanted to uh, make a note on names in Thailand, which I came across while trying to figure out why articles referred to the killer as Somkid rather than Pumpuang. So uh, the reason why is because in Thailand, the first name is followed by the surname, like in Western culture. So it's not like China where it's opposite. But Thai surnames are often long and hard to pronounce. So it's common to refer to people by their first names, preceded by Kun, which is a non-gender specific title equivalent to Mr. or Miss. So it's either one. That is really cool. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Well, yeah. And further supports this idea that uh, what is what is it? Kun? Gender non-specific title. Kun. Yeah. Yep. And this falls in the fun fact category. In addition to formal given names, almost all Thai people have a nickname. The nicknames are given to children when they're first born. The use of nicknames comes from an old belief that evil spirits are constantly on the lookout for newborn children to snatch away and control. Yikes! (laughs) These spirits are apparently easily fooled, though, because just the use of a nickname instead of normal Thai name confuses them and helps to keep the child safe. I love Stories like that. Like that, yeah. Yeah. So it's not a widespread belief anymore, but uh, the use of nicknames still remains popular in Thailand. The nicknames given may be a contraction of their real name, but most often Thai parents will take inspiration from a wide variety of other sources instead. One common source of nicknames is from how you are at birth, including your appearance or size, which occasionally results in unflattering nicknames like tiny, 
plump, red, or dimple. It can also be based on birth order, like one, two, or three, etc. <laughs> Another common source is names of animals or the sounds that animals make, like tadpole, bear, turtle, mouse, or meow. <laughs> <laughs> it's also popular nowadays to use English words for Thai nicknames. Some are taken straight from English names, like Jack, but others take inspiration from more unconventional sources, like food technology, or even letters of the alphabet, like milk, beer, laser, bank, bomb, for wow. cartoon, golf, ping pong, A, B, C, Wow. Oh, my gosh. What fun. I know. <laughs> I love, I absolutely love that. Um, most of the names were mentioned uh, or we mentioned can be used for either gender, which is pretty dope, but most are more common for one gender than other. The names are small of small animals and of food and drink are mostly female names, while names of leisure activities and technology are mainly male <laughs> names. That's so funny. The truth about the Haditha massacre has been covered up, but not anymore. I know you know what happened. They went into houses and killed women and children. What are you thinking? What a mess. U.S. Marines murdered innocent civilians in cold blood. And at the center of it all is 25-year-old Sergeant Frank Wooderick. And me. Murder in House 2. A new podcast from Crowd Network. We are gathered here today to give you permission to plan the wedding that you want. I'm Jessica Bishop. And I'm Sari Wienerman. And we're the hosts of the Bouquet Toss podcast. Today's couples have to juggle so many things, from family expectations to outdated traditions and what's currently trending. So to make it easier, we're going deep to figure out why we do weddings the way that we do, so you can decide what to keep and what to toss from your wedding day plans. You are cordially invited to subscribe to The Bouquet Toss wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcast.com. By the power vested in us, we pronounce you free to plan your day your way. So now we're going to get into some kids' early life. What do you got, Beth? The walled town of Nakon Si Tamarat, where Somkid Pumpuang is from, is one of the oldest cities in Thailand, founded more than 1,000 years ago. Wow. It's located on the peninsula near the coast of the Gulf of Thailand. The city was the administrative center of southern Thailand during most of its history, and it has been described as one of the most authentic Thai cities, I guess because it's so old. Oh, that's that's neat. Yeah. Now, we don't know his exact birthday, but some kid was born in 1964. His mom died when he was five, and he was later raised by an uncle, King King Kao, after his father abandoned him. Somkid was later thrown out of school for theft, after which his uncle found him a job in a wood factory. One article said that Somkid only had a Pratham II education, which is second grade. So in Thailand, children start school at the age of six. So Somkid would have been about seven or eight during Pratham II. So 
I guess he was kicked out of school as a child for stealing and then forced to go to work at around age eight, which seems crazy. That's a really, yeah, for a child that young and yeah. small to um, just sort of be out there in the world like that. I mean, children steal things like, yeah, don't kick them out of school. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That no, that's nuts. interesting. It was almost yeah. like nobody knew what what to do with him after his right. mother died and his father abandoned him and his, yeah. uh, you know, it was almost like he was disposable. Yeah. Um, which was wasn't his fault right um at that age especially but um welcome to culture corner <clears throat> with wendy and beth um i learned uh that thailand is among the 10 most unequal countries on earth for wealth distribution economic power is controlled by a handful of billionaires and corruption is commonplace and the inequality within thai society is the root cause of problems like uh, the lack of social and political stability the flesh trade and human trafficking, corruption, and crime. Hmm. So by some kid, we'll learn more in the story. I, I've said this before, but people aren't like, wee, I could just, crime is so fun. Um, really, people are just trying to survive. And yeah. um, some kid was stealing. We don't know the reasons, but as his crimes continue, um, that's uh, something to keep in mind. Right. Um, so some kid, uh, he was working at a wood factory and then he got fired for stealing 50,000 baht. That's the Thai dollar. His uncle later said that Samkid was always a hot-tempered troublemaker, and he called him a delinquent child. Uh, that's not nice. Um, in 2005, his uncle said Samkid had not been home for 30 years. So if that's true, he would have been about 11 or 12 when he left home. But a documentary on the case said that he was 16. He was still pretty young, but still 11 or 12, yeah, that's, yeah. that's nuts. Yeah, yeah, you're telling me. Some kid was known around town as a petty criminal and a con man, and he served a four-year jail sentence for robbery. He was released in 1988 when he was about 24. He also served some time for perjury after he came forward to police in a high-profile case, claiming to know who killed a governor who was found dead in a Bangkok hotel. So some kid told a wild ass story but in a matter of days police concluded that it was all a big lie and some kid was sentenced to six months in prison for perjury it has also been alleged that he was involved in a drug and arms trading uh, in Asarn, which is in northeast thailand there is another allegation that some kid framed a local businessman giving false testimony in court which resulted in the man being jailed for six years and the victim swore to kill Samkid in revenge when he was released. So Samkid left Nakon, Si, Tamarat, and could never come home. We don't know if that story is true or not, but uh, that's the story. Okay. Uh, Samkid then traveled around the country. He liked to stay in large luxury hotels and often pretended to be a wealthy businessman. He successfully evaded the police by losing himself in large crowds, traveled by mingling with big crowds on public transport, and he assumed a number of different aliases, which made him difficult to trace. Uh, so now we're going to get into the timeline. On January 30th, 2005 in Mukdan, 
Guarani Pimpa Buter, a 25-year-old cabaret singer, was singing in a karaoke bar. She had just finished singing when Som Kid approached her. He told her that he was a talent manager on the lookout for the next big voice to propel to the top of the charts. Guarani was intrigued, and she told her colleagues at the end of the night that she was leaving with Som Kid. Som Kid took Guarani to room 609 of the Ploy Palace Hotel in Mukdahan, where they argued over her service fee. He then drowned her in the bathtub and absconded with her valuables. The next morning, she was found dead in the hotel bathtub. Somkid had used his real name to check into the hotel where the murdered woman was found, and that was the last time he used his real name. Mm. But for months, his name was all that police had to work with, and apparently it's a fairly common name in Thailand. Mm. Frustrated, one investigator brought up the case at a police conference, and by chance, a fellow detective recognized Somkid's name. Police Colonel Chad Chai Liam Sangwan had encountered Somkid Pampuang during the perjury case. The one with the murdered governor in Bangkok and Chad Chai suggested he might be the same Somkid police were looking for. He remembered Somkid as a career con man tied up with the police for petty theft and fraud for years. Quote, he didn't have a secure job. He either swindled or borrowed money where lying and deceiving were part of the game. End quote. On June 4th, 2005, Somkid was in Lampang in northern Thailand. There he told his second victim, Pong Pan Sub Chai, a 34-year-old masseuse who was two months pregnant, that he was a travel executive in need of an escort, and he invited her to join him at his hotel. At the hotel, Samkid strangled the woman to death and then stole her gold ring, her mobile phone, and gold earrings, with the approximate value at 5,000 baht. Pangpang was found dead in the Lampang Hotel the next day. Several days later, Som Kid was staying at the Caesar Hotel in Trang under the name of Narong Nilnet. He went to a massage parlor where he picked up his third victim, Pachari Amantarand, 39, another traditional Thai masseuse. He told her that he was a rich gemstone mine owner. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Wait a minute. Do you know Elon Musk? Uh, <laughs> Uh, she accompanied Somkid to his hotel room, and the next morning, on June 11th, she was found dead in the hotel, strangled to death, and robbed of her jewelry. Although all the cases were very similar, they were hundreds of miles apart, and police hadn't connected the dots yet. According to Police Major General Winai Tongsong, quote, in Thailand... We've never really had a serial killer except for the well-known case of Si Ue, which happened ages ago when I was very young, unquote. Ooh, so he was referring to a Thai serial killer who was arrested in 1958 and executed a year later for killing and cannibalizing seven children, which we probably won't be covering because uh turns out People don't really like stories on cannibals or child victims. And this one's a double whammy. So I'm sorry, folks. I'm sorry. I'm unless, sorry. Unless you demand it. I'm sorry. Maybe the patrons, Patreons, but I'm sorry. We just, we're not going to go there. 
On June 19th, another masseuse, 37-year-old Porntuan Pankabutur, was found drowned in a hotel room bathtub in Udon, Tanai. This time, Somkid was seen in footage from the hotel security video system, and eyewitnesses also said that they'd seen him. The staff also remembered him well because he booked 21 rooms for his, quote, company, but then ended up using only one. (laughs) I saw that in the documentary, and I was just flabbergasted (laughs) that you can just pretend that you're you're I'm just gonna block off all these rooms first of all don't they like I I was don't they ask for like credit card information or something different yeah apparently they don't I just thought that was so baller I mean what a move what a move um so some kid was one step ahead and managed to murder yet another woman Sampong Pimporn Piram 36 he met the woman at a massage parlor in Buri Ram he told Sampong that he was a businessman I'm not a businessman I'm a businessman uh sorry he did steal that Jay-Z line that was me sorry guys uh and he asked her to be with him for the next three days. Two days later, her nude body was found in a hotel room 135 kilometers away. While Sam Pong was sleeping, Sam Kid had strangled her to death and took her belongings, including a gold ring and necklace. Although at first her estranged husband was the main suspect, latent fingerprints taken from the side of a beer glass found in the room were later matched to Sam Kid, and there was also CCTV footage, which later identified him. So in the documentary, they said that they also found in the beer glass some sediment and they tested it and it turned out to be allergy medicine. I, I'm thinking like Benadryl or something. Yeah, yeah, that was my thought as well. Yeah. And I guess if you mix it with alcohol, it's uh, like a sedative. Yeah, a sedative. And so they, they think that he drugged her. Yeah, which uh, is pretty brazen, right? He's, he's yeah. definitely stepping his game up, renting out a whole floor of hotel rooms, <laughs> putting Benadryl in people's beers. I mean, what's next? Uh, so now we're going to get into the investigation and arrest part one, because as we mentioned, this motherfucker eventually got out of jail. <laughs> For what? We don't know. We'll get there when we get there. So police by this time had figured out that they had a serial killer on their hands and began a manhunt as Royal Thai Police in Bangkok formed a national task force to track some kid down. A cell phone gave some kid away. He made a call from one of the victim's phones exposing his whereabouts. Som Kid was arrested on June 29th at a house in Cheapum where he had been hiding out. The house belonged to a widow who had known Som Kid since about 2003. According to Som Kid, he traveled by train to commit murders in Mukdahan, Lampang, Udon Tanai, and Buri Ram. But when his crimes hit the headlines, he hid at his girlfriend's house. Kind of interesting how he perpetrated these heinous crimes on women and then used a woman as his shield, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, what kind of man is this? Is He's... Who is this man? <laughs> Whose man's is this? Uh, so in his statement to police, some kid claimed he killed the woman over disputes about their fees for massages as well as for sex. Quote, I killed them out of anger because sometimes they overcharged and double charged me after I had sex with them. End quote. 
Another quote, I spent the money that I robbed from them to buy more sex from prostitutes. He also told police that he hated women. Well, that is not a surprise, judging by his actions. (laughs) However, I just think it is so the audacity to murder somebody over over charging you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd hate to see what happens if, you know, if this guy... Jeez, I'm trying to think of all the slights. Like, what happens if he waits on the long line at the DMV? You're going to kill everybody, everybody does. there? Yeah, Jesus. <laughs> Some kid's uncle, Kling King Kao, said that he thought his nephew deserved the death sentence. Quote, I will not be sad if he's executed. I would also like to thank the police for arresting him. The arrest will ensure that he won't be able to kill any more people. Kling said, which I, I don't know. I think that's kind of garbage. <laughs> um, yeah, no, he was on a roll. I don't think there was any stopping him other than putting him uh, in jail or, yeah. um, you know, the alternative. I don't I'm not sure about the death penalty in Thailand. So, yeah, anyway. I just think it's garbage that his uncle said that. Oh, yeah, that too. Yeah, Yeah. you're right. You're right, Beth. Agree 100 percent. So the criminal court sentenced some kid to life terms for three of the four cases and to death for the killing of masseuse Fong Pan Sapchai at a hotel in Lampang. But in 2012, the sentence was commuted to life in prison because he had confessed to the crimes. So, okay. Well, if you thought that was it, hang on to your britches because there is a part two of the investigation and the arrest. Hit it, Beth. The Department of Corrections called some kid a, quote, model prisoner, and he was released on parole on May 17th, 2019, at the age of 55, after serving just 14 years. Hmm? In June... What now? Four, yeah. 14, 14, 14 years. 14 lifetimes? No, just, <laughs> just years. 14 years? Just regular-ass oh. years. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> In June, shortly after he was released, some kid met a woman named Sumali, and they moved in together in Rayong, where they ran a noodle shop. Sumali did not know Somkid was a convicted killer. He told her that he practiced law. Wow. Totally believable. Bruh. Oh, boy. Where's your office? Do you have any clients? Uh, can you cite any statutes? Uh, holy moly. Uh, so while living with Sumali, Samkit met 51-year-old Rasami Mulichan through Facebook, and he started a relationship with her. Samkit would tell Sumali he would be away working in Konkayen when, in fact, he was actually there to spend time with Rasami. So he's playing these two women. Yes. Okay. Rasami was divorced and worked as a hotel maid. She let Somkid move in with her at the beginning of December and told her son that he was going to buy her a car. She also told her son that Somkid was a lawyer handling cases nationwide. Wow. (laughs) She told her daughter and neighbors that she was going to marry the man on December 15th. Wow. I I don't even know what to say. So, uh, you know what, though? I bet somebody who ha- was in prison would know a lot about the law, yeah, right? Yeah, Especially talking to other prisoners yeah. and stuff. Um, but on December 12th, some kid told Rasami he was taking her motorcycle to be repaired in downtown Konkayen. But no repairs were made, and some kid left the motorcycle at Konkayen Hospital. 
On December 15th, the day that they were supposed to get married, Somkid strangled 51-year-old Rasami Mulachan to death with an electrical wire. No! Yeah. On the wedding day? Yeah. No! Somkid later said that he had coaxed Rasami into paying the down payment on a car and then realizing he could not afford the installments, like he, he didn't think about this before. Hello. Okay. Okay. <laughs> he then tried to break up with her and they had a fight and then he killed her. Wow. I just, this, whoo. So he's got a bad temper. He thinks he's like... <laughs> He thinks he's an attorney. He thinks he's an attorney. He thinks he, he has thinks, money. He thinks he knows who killed a governor. I mean, what? What? At what lengths will he, lives he not go? on a different go? planet. Wow. Uh, so the woman's body was found in her home the next day, wrapped in a blanket, naked from the waist down, her wrists and ankles bound, with wire fastened around the neck. Some kid was nowhere to be found. After the murder, some kid took Rasami's motorcycle that he had parked at the hospital to Buri Ram, where he boarded a train bound for Bangkok. A cell phone found at the scene was quickly linked to Somkid and photos that Rasami posted on her Facebook page of her and her boyfriend also led police to Somkid, triggering a manhunt. One of her neighbors told police that he saw a man, later identified as Somkid, coming to stay with Rasami on December 2nd and that he heard the two quarreling on the 15th. Um, just for future reference, like if you were ever going to commit a crime, I think Facebook is where law enforcement goes first oh, or really? social media in general. I mean, wow. I, I don't know. That's my theory. Not knowing anything about anything. <laughs> I would just think like it, it would, uh, it's definitely a place they'd go for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I, what I'm saying is I'm going to scrub all evidence of me from the Internet and then I'll be free to do whatever <laughs> to do crimes whatever. I want. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so police also examined CCTV footage and other evidence following the murder of Rasami Mulichan and were convinced that some kid Pump Wang was the perpetrator and a warrant for his arrest was issued. His photos and details were released to the public with a reward, along with a warning that he was very dangerous. His picture was all over the news. And on December 18th, 2019, some kid boarded the train at Bori Ram Station. A young couple also boarded the train in northeastern Thailand at 8.37 a.m. The two walked to the second car and sat opposite a man wearing a jacket, cap, and medical mask. The woman noticed the passenger had a scar over his left eyebrow, which was the same as the photo of some kid that was all over the news. She started feeling worried and asked to switch to another carriage. Once there, the woman told her boyfriend that she thought the man was Somkid. The boyfriend walked back to the second car to take another look at the man, who immediately lowered his cap to cover his face. The boyfriend then took photos and a video clip and sent them to the Kranwan police station. Nice work. The police chief there asked him to watch the murder suspect closely and report back regularly, and to tell him immediately if he left the train. As the train pulled into Pak Chong Station at about 10.45, officers boarded the train. Police discovered Somkid asleep next to the train window. He was wearing a cap, his face covered by a medical mask, and he had covered himself with a jacket. I was just curious about the medical mask in December of 2019. Is that because of COVID? I don't 
think so. I think uh, in Asian countries, it's more common for people to wear medical masks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, it could just be something that people just do Cult- sometimes. Like just a, cult- yeah, yeah. a cultural um, thing. Okay. Right. So some kid did not resist arrest and was taken to a police station in Nong Sarai district of Nakaon Rachasima for interrogation. So he claimed that he killed Rasami Mulichan in a fit of rage after trying to break up with her once he realized he couldn't afford down payments on the promised car. Uh, but police said they have a hard time believing it was pr- it was not premeditated. Yeah. And boy, oh boy, me too. <laughs> yeah, he parked that motorcycle uh, <laughs> so he could escape. So, hello. Yeah, hello. Uh, <laughs> you played yourself. <laughs> Despite confessing to the murder during an interrogation that lasted all night following his arrest, Somkid refused to reenact the crime, uh, which which he actually did with the other crimes. He did reenact them. Yeah. Um, but this time he refused to do it, saying it would be too stressful. But he did agree to a reenactment of his escape, which I'm sure he was proud of. Of course he did. Yeah. Of course he did. <laughs> Look how awesome I am. Yeah. In the meantime. Ugh, gross. Get out of here. Uh, you know what? Let me get this man's address so I can send him all the bags of dicks. Um <laughs> <laughs> that's that's my new insult. How much lately. does it cost to What's mail your him address a bag of dicks? And how much will it cost to mail you a bag of dicks? <laughs> so now we're gonna get into the trial. Well, just last week, the Kankan court in the Isan province sentenced Samkid Pumpwang to death for the murder of Rasami Mulichan. It also handed down a one-year and four-month prison term for concealing a body and a three-year jail term for theft. Hmm. Good night. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so now we're going to get into where are they now? Well, uh, Rasami Mulichan's sister, Nairi Thanimkarn, said, quote, My family and I are all saddened by what happened. But what's worse is why the justice system let the evil out so easily. The authorities should be more careful, unquote. Yeah, they tell all of us to be more careful. Yeah. You know, uh, we make a mistake. Jesus Christ, don't get me started about what happens if I file one day late with the IRS. Yeah. The least they, you know, the least they, the authorities can do is be more careful. Amen? Yeah. Uh, so the uh, Corrections Department Director General Narat Sawetanan conceded that releasing Samkid had been a mistake. Really? Wow. Thank you. Okay. The department launched an urgent review of its policies for reducing well-behaved inmates, sentences, and new measures for monitoring parolees convicted of violent crimes. Quote, a probe has been launched to see whether there were any lapses in judgment by the corrections department to reduce Somkid's sentence. Unquote. Justice Minister Somsak Thepsudin told the Bangkok Post. The case prompted Prime Minister Prayut Chan Ocha to order the Justice Minister to review Thailand's rules and sentence reductions, particularly for convicted killers. I think it's an excellent idea to revisit this policy. <laughs> One problem is that 
that Thailand's prison population is three times over capacity mm. and nearly 80 percent of its inmates are imprisoned for drug related offenses. Now, wow. come on, y'all. Yeah. Uh, in 2021, 21, <laughs> 2021. Uh, so this leads to reductions in sentences, even for serious offenses. Yeah. Um, so, Somebody yeah, it's, it's like they're one. Yeah, all across the board trying to fix all problems with one solution. And yeah. That, that, that ain't it. Nope. <laughs> nope. Uh, so now we're going to get into our takeaways. What do you got, Beth? I'm sure it's a gem. I'm sure it's lots of gems. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> Didn't he say he was a gem dealer? I yeah. To one person. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it sounds to me like his early life was uh, seriously fucked up. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I'm making a lot of guesses and reading between the lines, but um, it sounds like he was living on the streets, possibly mm-hmm. by the time he was 12 years old. Yeah. And uh, it also sounds like his uncle wasn't the greatest. <laughs> nope. Nope, definitely sounds like trash. Basura! (laughs) So uh, he learned to live on his wits. And it sounds like he was probably pretty smart. I mean, he only had a second grade education, but he was able to convince people that he was an attorney. Right? It sounds like he was incredibly manipulative and a compulsive liar. And like we were talking about, he didn't even know what was true. (laughs) Right? Yeah. He lived in (laughs) fantasy land, in Pompuang land. (laughs) He had no status, but he liked to pretend to be someone with a high status. So that probably made him feel good. And uh, murdering these women probably made him feel powerful. Yeah. yeah. So he he told police that he hated women, but Mm -hmm. it's hard to say why. Because, um, I mean, his mom died. Right. His dad was the one who abandoned him. And then he lived with his uncle. Another man who probably sucked. So, I mean, why are you mad at the ladies? I wonder. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) It's the man who who, uh, failed you. (laughs) Yeah, but I imagine that losing your mother at a very young age is traumatic. Well, sure. And maybe even a child wouldn't understand that it wasn't her Her fault. fault. Yeah. That's my thought. Yeah, I don't, yeah, women always I, get blamed for everything. Too. Yeah, <laughs> I also, I mean, yeah, they do. Um, even though he was really smart, I mean, maybe teachers were terrible to him in school. Yeah, female yeah. teachers. So it's, yeah, it's hard to say what happened. Yeah, like there, there could have been other women in his life who were terrible to him. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So one police officer described him as temperamental with mood swings prone to violent outbursts and that he repressed his emotions. And I I would think that would be a bigger problem in a country that expects people not to express their anger. Oh, I would think that that would be a big problem, but it it sounds like it's not. And Mm -hmm. maybe um, people who are who um, practice Buddhism, Mm -hmm. uh, maybe they have ways of of dealing with that. And maybe if you're not a practicing Buddhist, maybe it would be harder. I don't know. But they don't have a big problem with uh, crime or it's a pretty safe country from what I understand. Yeah, but I did, you know, I did mention the um, inequality. Uh, yes, the, that's like, the, true. The rich are yeah. really super duper rich and the poor are not. Yes. Um, yes. And uh, I got to think that plays a part into the need to commit crime in order to um, survive. survive. But yeah. as far as I was not under the impression, violent crime was right. not the issue. Right. Um, there's still crime. but Yeah, it there's just, still crime, like it was but it's not... Crime. 
You would think there'd be more yeah. than there is. Yeah. 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 Uh, interesting. Yes. So mm-hmm. my last thought is I hope he never gets out again. <laughs> hey, add that to the prayer list. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, so I, I, one of the things I found just fascinating about this story, I just love that they were never colonized by any white country. Yeah, that is really wow. cool. I just want to give them hip hop <laughs> air horns for yeah. just keeping it together. You know what? I do have access to a thing called hip hop air horns. So shout out <laughs> to not being colonized for Thailand. That I think is really pretty uh, cool cool you love to see it um i thought it was interesting to me my first source was that youtube video that youtube documentary right and the sex workers they were portrayed as human beings as people right they They were treated humanely yeah yeah treated humanely which i thought was a really interesting um aspect of this true crime story because we don't see that um and uh he reminded me of Sobrage. Oh, serpent. yeah. Right. Because in the same area, kind same, of. Yeah, same. It, it ha- he, yeah, they were in the same area. I mean, I think Sobrage was in Thailand at one point. Um, he uh, also conned people uh, into thinking he was this gem dealer, wealthy right. business guy. Um, and uh, some kid also, like Sobrage, had a difficult childhood. Yeah. Um, and it sort of forced both of these men to um, use their uh, skills, their hustler skills yeah. to get by. Right. But somehow con after con or hustle after hustle, turn the stakes increased. Maybe murder was inevitable um, for these individuals. I mean, we, we know how the story ends. They killed people and now, right. <laughs> now they are where they are. Um, but I just thought that that was a really interesting aspect that it you is. Know, yeah. from, from this really difficult childhood, they um, both seem to, instead of turning their struggle into good, they turned it into very bad. Yeah. My name is Bill Huffman, and I am a former Cleveland News producer, and I am now the host of the podcast, Who Killed? I began the show focusing on the unsolved murder of Amy Mihaljevic, and now each week I explore a different case with a focus on some of the victims who don't get the attention they deserve. I have a deep catalog of over 225 episodes, so there is a guarantee there will be something for you. Who Killed is an evergreen podcast killer podcasts and slow burn media production subscribe today wherever you get your favorite shows so now we are going to get into how not to get murdered so if you love true crime and you don't want to die here's a tip for you (laughs) (laughs) this segment is not intended to be victim blaming we thought of this segment because i read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer this is not meant to blame the victims it's just learning from other people's experiences sometimes we have no suggestions for a particular episode and we will just offer up generic tips that's right um i was gonna do my new theme song 
Now it's time to say goodbye to murder, blood, and guts. Let's all see how you and me can be better human beings. So this tip is related to how we can help other people who might be in danger of being victims of crimes and violence. In particular, the AAPI community, Asian American Pacific Islander population. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, uh, but uh, I mean, the world is on fire. It's going to hell in a handbasket. But in the meantime, what we can do to help one um, community that is really going through it right now is uh, help our Asian uh, American imp- and our AAPI uh, fam. So uh, if you're wondering how you can help given the rise in violence, first of all, my first tip, don't post a yellow square on your timeline. <laughs> <laughs> also, don't post the hashtag Asian Lives Matter. It's not helpful. Uh, there are more effective ways to help. Uh, start by educating yourself on the history of violence and discrimination against Asian women in the United States, which uh, predates the Chinese Exclusion Act. A lot of um, sources I've been uh, engaging in since this rise in crime are all referencing the Asian Exclusion, Exclusion Act, but um, this uh, violence against um, Asian communities and particular uh, Asian women has been um, it predates the Chinese Exclusion Act. Um, there are bystander intervention trainings, hate crime resources. Um, you can try to be an ally by writing to Congress or looking for a book on how to be anti-racist. Um, they have That's a lot a of children's idea. books, but there's the books for adults too. Hey, yeah. maybe you can read it together. Um, there are also places to donate uh, for the cause, including um, Asian Women Alliance, and there's a Stop Asian Hate GoFundMe. There's many others. And there's also um, resources out there on how to report a hate crime. Side note, authorities are slow to call hate crimes um, committed by white men hate crimes. And that's trash. Um, And uh, hate crimes are also underreported. And I think... uh, because it's the authorities just refuse not to see, yeah. just refuse. I don't see it. I'm blind. Yeah. <laughs> um, lastly, but we have to, we have to. So lastly, to our AAPI fam uh, who are dealing with the trauma of this rise in violence against the AAPI community, as well as the rise in reports and visibility of these crimes, um, it can be traumatic. And we just want y'all to know Fruit Loops stands with you. Um, but take care of your mental health. This goes yeah. for everybody listening. Right. And you can hear the sound of my voice. Um, and we shouted out uh, Sam- SAMHSA in the past. It's a national helpline for mental health. Um, but there's lots of resources out there. I was going to just post a link in our show notes for an excellent resource that I found um if you just type into Google anti-Asian violence resources, there is a plethora of them. I'm just picking one and putting it in our show notes. Nice. But you can also do the work and pick others. All right. Okay. Now it's shout out time <laughs> uh, where we shout out any content by people of color uh, or any true crime goodies. What do you got? Oh, actually, I'm first. <laughs> <laughs> Look at God. Uh, So I wanted to uh, shout out, if you have HBO, Exterminate All the Brutes. Have you heard of it, Beth? I have not. It is amazing. First of all, it's by the filmmaker 
a Haitian film director. His name is Raul Peck. He uh, directed I Am Not Your Negro, oh, okay. which is something we've shouted out before. Yeah. Um, but this is a four-part episode uh, or four-part series on the journey throughout time of essentially white supremacy. Oh, Throughout wow. time and throughout the world. Wow. Uh, spoiler alert. <laughs> White supremacy sucks. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> and colonization sucks. Uh, but this goes way, way back into the history. And again, he's just showing you the through line. It's fascinating. If you've got, you know, a little bit of time on your hands um, and you can get that free trial, um, then uh, check it out on HBO and HBO Max. It's very good. Yeah, it sounds good. Yeah. What do you got, Beth? So I got a true crime goodie. It's a podcast called Rotten Mango. Mm, I've heard of this. Yeah, it's a true crime podcast hosted by Stephanie Sue, who's an Asian woman. Mm -hmm. She's really entertaining and a good storyteller. Ooh. And I recently listened to an episode she did on Joseph Fritzl. I don't know if you remember Who? this guy. Who now? Joseph nope. Fritzl, he's an Austrian guy. And he held his daughter in a basement for like 25 years oh, and had seven yeah. children with her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Stephanie Sue spills all the tea. Ooh. And I knew the story was horrific, but I had no idea how horrific it was. So I think you'll enjoy that. Episode. I am. I, can't I know talk you to like right all now, the Beth. I'm subscribing <laughs> to Rotten Mango. Give me a I minute. Know you, you like all the. Uh, details i love all the details oh my god am i exciting i believe <laughs> we shouted this podcast out uh a couple years ago maybe oh did we very i strongly believe we okay have. well here we're shouting here it, it out again, again then here this we go sounds <laughs> glorious i'll see you later what's the rest of the show i don't know um i'm just kidding this has been so fun but yeah. that's it for today where can the people find us beth our website is fruitloopspod.com our facebook page is fruit loops pod and our discussion group is fruit loops pod discussion on facebook we are also on twitter and instagram Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod and links to our sources will be in our footnotes. If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash App. Just Google Fruit Loops Pod Cash App, or you can become a monthly patron through our Podbean patron page. This will help us pay for things like our website and pod hosting. There's no minimum and no commitment. Even a dollar would help. And as always, we have merch for sale on our website. This is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, y'all. It's crazy out there.
Hey, podcast listeners, I'm Paul Brandis introducing my podcast, Countdown to Dallas. It's a fascinating, in-depth look at the seemingly unconnected events that led to the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. It's based on my book of the same title. In that book and in this podcast, I go all the way back to 1939, when Lee Harvey Oswald was born into a troubled and dysfunctional family. I'll follow his transient and often violent teenage years and young adulthood, painting a fuller picture of the man who would later become Kennedy's killer. I also take a look at events unfolding in that era, like Cuba and Vietnam, And I'll unpack the conspiracy theories, too, not one of which has ever been conclusively proven. Subscribe to Countdown to Dallas at evergreenpodcasts.com or your favorite listening app, October 31st. Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today.